Hello friends, this is Vale from Budapest, Hungary. Welcome to Take It or Lead It, a podcast that is all about inclusion, inspiration, community, joy, happiness, fun, and amazing guests. And today I am so privileged and happy to have Dursun Halimova next to me on the spiritual couch. Welcome Dursun to the spiritual couch. Thank you, Vale, for having me. Dursun is a friend and also a partner in crime uh, in terms of uh, Inspiral. We are kind of co-leading Inspiral. Uh, she's an amazing woman, coach, um, and a bunch of other things. But I let you introduce yourself, Dursun. So tell us about you. Great. Thank you. Well, um, I would say I'm someone who is very passionate about uh leading and living a life of fulfillment and really kind of being content with where i am um i think i for a long time i was very ambitious and wanting wanting more things and now if i were to describe myself i would say i'm a person who is in search of contentment fulfillment and learning to appreciate what i have great so what's your story Dursun? Hmm, which story? <laughs> yeah, let's start from, you know, your country, your childhood, your dreams, and you have an interesting story how some of these dreams of yours you managed to fulfill. Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in Turkmenistan. It is a Central Asian country. Uh, I was born in almost like a village, I guess, in a European context. I was uh, the youngest of five kids which was a lot of fun. Uh, my parents were very loving and caring. And one thing that um, they kind of instilled in me is, despite the fact that they actually didn't have very like ambitious goals, but they always supported me to dream big. And one of my dreams when I was a child you know, I didn't know who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to get higher education. And I think maybe part of it, it has to do with the fact that none of my parents had a higher education and none of my older siblings uh, managed to get a higher education, although they were much, much smarter uh, than me. Uh, they did way, way better at school also. But somehow, yeah, I had this ambition from very young age. And for me, higher education meant access to financial freedom and being independent and being able to support myself, not to depend on my family or on my future husband. Um, the cultural kind of background is that, um, especially as a woman, as a young woman, uh, the expectations were pretty low. Um, the, the highest expectation of me uh, from my society was to get married and have kids and be a good wife and be a good mother. So, yeah. That's... Yeah, maybe maybe another way of saying it, they were rather narrow, right? They were, there were some societal sort of expectations. When did you realize that this was not necessarily what you wanted? It's very interesting. I, I keep thinking about this and I am surprised myself also uh, reflecting back. I was very, very young. So this must have been at the age of five or six. Oh, wow. I remember I have this very clear uh, memory of uh, 
sitting in my playground uh, on, on a sway, swinging on, on a sway and having this thought. Uh, in that moment, I said to myself, I do not want to depend on my husband and I want to get education because I thought, you know, if I had higher education, I would be able to get a job. I would be able to sustain myself. And I think I was very young, but I guess the all kind of, or the most of the role models I was seeing around myself in terms of love relationships, family relationships, like, uh, and the role of women was such that, you know, women rarely got into university and they pretty much, you know, right away after high school or after a few years, they would get married and have kids. And unfortunately, because they don't have higher education, they wouldn't maybe have a, a decent job and they wouldn't be able to support themselves. And hence, they would depend on their husbands to provide them uh, right financially. So for me, that was a, like a very early on, I had this realization that I need to get into university. And I, and I guess that's why this uh, desire was so strong that I did all in my power to uh, fulfill this. Oh, nice. I would have thought that there was like a, a role model or someone that inspired you, but it feels like it was more sort of an inner desire um, to set yourself free or live up to your own standards. Yes, exactly. And I think maybe it has to do with the fact that, you know, sometimes we realize uh, that the the surrounding, wherever we are, the, the environment is a bit narrow for us or it is limiting us or the expectation that other people have of us is much lower than what we want for ourselves. And for me at the time, I thought I actually really had this dilemma from an early age because I didn't feel like I belong uh -huh. uh, in, a, in a way I was different. Like I wanted different things. And I also I think one thing that really kind of made it hard for me to like to fit in is also how much optimism I had in terms of achieving my dream, right? Like a lot of people were discouraging me saying, oh, you don't have the money, you don't have the connections, you don't have this, you don't have that. So people would focus on the limitations right? Uh, and less so on what we can actually do. And my perspective was, oh, no, I want to focus on what I can do. And there's a lot I can do. Right. So what did you do? Hmm. It all started with uh, a simple decision to study English. Uh, so one thing my dream was at the time to get into university. And I wanted to study, uh, interestingly enough, Chinese language and culture. I wanted to study in Turkmenistan in one of the universities. And long story short, I started practicing English and my family didn't really take it seriously. I also took it as a hobby, but one thing led to another. I met people uh, who were planning to study abroad or who were studying abroad and they came for summer break or something. And basically, eventually I learned about opportunities to study abroad. And that kind of gave me a bigger hope that there are programs that are fully financially sponsored because, you know, my family didn't have the financial means to pay for my education. So from an early on, I took on this as a fact, right? So I have to get into university without a penny, basically. So yeah, I, I 
I started really hard after high school. I remember I, I started my own business to make money to save toward my college fund. And I would, at the, at the end of every day, I remember I would buy $1 each day. I mean, you would change the currency? I like... would change local currency, yeah. Uh, our local currency is Manat. And I would go to an exchange point and buy $1 and toward my college fund. And because, wow. <laughs> yeah, because I thought, you know, when I started my business, I was making money and reinvesting the money back in the business. And I realized I'm not saving anything. So, and that's why I thought, I don't want to delay. I want to make sure every day, I save just little amount I put aside, put aside basically oh. for my college. So two questions. What were what was that business? Uh, I had a confectionery store. I was selling uh, sweets, candies. And yeah. you made them by yourself? No, I was basically a re retailer or like oh, okay. re reselling. And uh, that was, uh, I started that business at 17. I didn't have any like business know-how. I had very limited uh, financial means also, but I took a risk. And the, the powerful thing is that people also trusted me. So they would lend me stuff without me paying. And they would, I don't know, like in a week or two after I made the sale, I could repay them back. Right. So they trusted me so much. And basically, for, like for the most part, that's how my business run because I didn't have the funds to yeah. actually. And yeah. this was a physical location like you would. Ever... It was a physical location. Wow. You never told me this story. Yeah. Oh, there are a lot of things about oh, it you I... don't know about me. It's so cool <laughs> that we're recording a podcast and almost actually on a, a live. You're telling me this. Yeah. Uh, this story. So the other question I had um, is why dollars? Like, would you just convert into dollars? Yeah, because that was and that still is the the most like strong, reliable and the most commonly used foreign currency. Sure. And uh, the value also is, you know, kind of stable. It's like investing in gold, basically, yeah, right? Like China, investing yeah. in, in a foreign currency. Okay. So what happened next? So I did that uh, business for a few years and it was pretty interesting period in my life because you know while in the background i had all of these kind of uh strong belief system that was dragging me down i had my family who were very supportive but also a bit sad especially my parents to to know that they won't be able to support me financially and they felt bad that i have such a big dream and they won't be able to contribute to it but one thing that really kind of was liberating, and I am forever, forever thankful to my parents, this was the best thing that they could have ever done for me, is to give me the freedom. They gave me the freedom and they said, you know what, we can't pay for your college, but you can go ahead and do whatever you want to do. So that uh, that's why after high school, when I started the business, I moved to the capital city of my region. Uh, basically, I moved out from my family. I was working during the day from very early hour till late. So I would show up in my shop early morning and be, basically be the last person to leave the, the market, right? Because I wanted to make customers. That's how you build customer base. People can rely on you. You're there whenever they need you. 
So, and then each evening I would study English, prepare for uh, exams, for TOEFL, essay writing, interview skills, etc. And yeah, and I applied the first year I applied to uni like local university and I also applied to a foreign university. And unfortunately, I didn't get into either of them. Uh, and it was devastating. It was devastating. I remember being in my room for a week crying and not wanting to meet anyone because uh, I could, you know, I could see people like finger pointing and telling, oh, Dursun, didn't we tell you? Right. And it was also a very low point because I was questioning myself. Maybe I'm actually not good enough. Maybe I should just settle for being a wife and a mother. Okay. So what made you um, keep going and what was the next chance that you took or that you tried? Yeah, I think, you know, what I realized, there is so much power in sharing your passion, your dream with people around you. Because I was so enthusiastic and passionate about my dream and I worked hard. My family actually kind of took on that dream and they made it their mission to help me. So they came to my rescue. And I remember my dad, you know, having this conversation with me saying, no one said it's going to be easy. Things that you want in life, especially those you really want, they're, you know, not easy to get. And he kind of encouraged me not to look at, you know, at this attempt as a, as a failure, as a decisive moment, and that I should try again. And that's how, and also a few close friends who were there to support me. And I somehow gathered myself, you know, after giving my myself a time to be miserable and, and, and be depressive for a week or so. Yeah, but I basically pulled myself together and I prepared uh, further. I worked harder. And eventually I got into uh, a program to study abroad on a full scholarship. The program not only paid for my tuition fee and living expenses, they even covered my yearly travel to visit my family, which was an amazing, amazing achievement, both for me, but also for my family. And that took you where? That took me to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. I started off at American University of Central Asia. And after my first year, after my first year of university, I applied to an exchange program to realize another dream of mine, which was to go to United States of America. Okay. And yeah, I was lucky enough to get into the program. And basically, I spent my second year of university in U.S. studying at American University in Washington, D.C. So just for context, how many uh, people could, could get this opportunity? Like you were one of a few like out of many that applied, right? Or, to get into the university? Yeah, in the U.S. Mm. Oh, it was, yeah, it is very competitive. It's a, it's a global international program and people compete across, I think it is mainly, it, the program focuses mainly on somewhat developing countries, uh, Okay. but, but it is very competitive. Wow. And the fact that I got into very prestigious private university and to study in DC, that was amazing because, you know, it's one thing to get into the program and then they select, they decide where you go, which university, right. etc. Wow. And at the time I was studying 
political science and international relations. And for me, I thought this was match made in heaven. Right. You know, I'm here in the uh, city of world politics, like it couldn't get any better, but it did. Wow. You know, I knew some elements of your story, Durson, uh, but you now you added some more details and uh, like this confectionery shop and your resilience and determination. It's impressive. Like, thank you. I already admired you. Now I admire you even more. That's, that's <laughs> thank possible. You. Yeah. So I keep going. Like there's more to go, right? More, more to say. So what's next? Yeah. So when I was in D.C. on this program, uh, I had to do an internship as part of my program. And I heard my American classmates talking about doing an internship at the U.S. Senate, at the U.S. Congress. And I remember talking to my buddy, you know, whenever you are a new student, they would match you with an older student to help you around. And I was talking to her. I'm like, oh, Sarah, I heard about this internship opportunity. What do you think if I apply? And she was like, ah, uh, I don't want to sound discouraging, but you don't have much ch chances because they give preference to, first of all, American citizens, second of all, to the resident of, of, a, of a state where the senator comes from. And you are neither of them. So, and I was a bit upset uh, and sad. And I remember going to my room and looking at the application and thinking to myself, okay, what do I do? And, and then I thought, well, she's not a trained statistician to tell me precisely what is the probability I could get in, right? And she's not involved in the hiring recruitment process, so she might not even know what they're looking for. And I decided, again, to focus on what I can control, which is to submit my application. And within a few days, I got invited to attend an interview. And within a week or so, I got an offer to do an internship at the U.S. Senate. Wow, that's impressive. And how long was the internship? The internship was three months. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I just, this was also another one of those moments. I just cannot describe the feeling I had inside. I remember standing underneath the dome. If you have seen the photos of Capitol Hall, uh, the, the Capitol building, it has this dome and it's so magnificent. It's beautiful. It's, and I was just right underneath and thinking, oh my God, like all of my major dreams came true. And I was so grateful, so happy. And I was thinking, you know, again, kind of, yeah, it, it, it was very difficult to believe that it was actually true. It was happening to me. Wow. It's all, I'm almost speechless. Uh, so, but tell us a bit about these three months. Is there anything that, like any sort of uh, spicy story that you can tell us or anything that impressed you or uh, that just uh, you'd like to emphasize or highlight? I think one thing that I, I would mention is that at times, you know, when we enter certain experience, we have certain expectations. So... And they are either met or not met. And for me, I think I was excited because I thought, wow, I can experience politics or how laws are made in action, right? And I thought I wanted to be a politician, right? When I grew up. <laughs> and 
So for me, it was a great opportunity to see politics in action. And I actually decided, I figured out that I don't like it. I don't like it and I don't want to be a politician because it is a very difficult job in a way. You know, people have different expectations and you as a representative of your populace is, you know, not able to meet those expectations at times. So that was a, a, a big uh, revelation for me and and good one because then, you know, kind of I took my professional career on a, on a different path. And uh, yeah, and I also met a few quite interesting and leading politicians, um, which was amazing. Yeah, there were a few people I was looking up to as a as a female politician and being able to see my female role models uh, giving talks at the U.S. Senate was incredible. Right. Is there anything that you can pinpoint that drove your understanding of that uh, that that's not what you actually wanted uh, for your future or it was more an intuition and overall like feeling i just don't feel this is what i want or is there any particular event or situation that drove you there hmm. i do respect politicians a lot and i don't want to sound in any way um, unappreciative uh, of the work that they do. But for me, you know, because of my background, because of also seeing so many talented kids having ambitions of to study, to pursue certain professional paths, and a lot of these bright kids not being able to fulfill their dreams, one thing from an early age I really wanted is to be able to impact people's life somehow, to help them achieve their goal, their potential. And I realized that politics is not the a way. path or the way to do that. Right. Great. And I I think from that point, but also in, in a later stage, I realized that policymaking, which is different from politics, is something that I'm interested in. Basically, how to design, let's say, educational policies that can help uh, bring the, the best talent uh, we have in a country. So my kind of focus shifted, uh, but this was in a way kind of a beginning of a bigger shift because at this point, I also in a, in a place where I'm making another shift uh, where I am now uh, consciously choosing to shift my focus from policy to actually people, working with people directly. Nice. I really wanted the, our listeners to listen to this story. So thank you for taking us uh, through the journey. Uh, I think it's beautiful. Hey, uh, now let's fast forward to today, right? That's sure. uh, a few days, few sorry, a few years later. Uh, with Dursun today, what are you? What what do you do for a living? And uh, which season of your li of life are you? Mm. That is such a wonderful question uh, and a question that is so difficult to answer um, because I am, a few years ago, uh, I have started experiencing this, I call it my spiritual awakening. I don't have yet a better way to describe the experience I'm going through. Maybe it's a maturity, awakening, I don't know what it is. Um, 
I am reevaluating things in my life and shifting a bit my focus. So for the past few years, I have worked at a private consultancy firm focusing on EU level policymaking in the area of education, research and innovation. And recently I made a decision to make a somewhat big shift, let's say, and switch from policy work to people work. And what I've realized over the years that my natural strength, as well as something that gives me true meaning and fulfillment in what I do is my work with people. And that also brought me to the sphere of coaching and training, which I really, really love. And I really like to see people fulfill their potential. And they, they are content, but they're also fulfilled. They do things that are fulfilling. And when I see that in people's eyes, that's the thing that gives me the most joy. And yeah, and, and I want to do more of that starting from now. Yeah, and I, I guess that's something that we have in common, something that is... Uh integral dimension of our friendship, but also in our cooperation uh, in terms of what we do for Inspiral. So uh, it's really uh, beautiful for me to hear your words because they resonate profoundly with me. Um, so maybe let's talk about this realization and how maybe some of the work we've done together, we're doing together, uh, makes you feel that you are on that path. So you join, well, how long have we been knowing each other? Like maybe three years or? Something? Yes, I think three years we've known each other. Uh, but maybe like if we focus on how long I was like actively involved with Inspire, maybe the past year. Yeah. Before I was, but it was kind of. Yeah, I remember you from being like being a participant mm -hmm. in the workshop and being an active participant. But then at some point, I don't remember, like you approached me or. I did. Oh, you approached me, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and it was like a year and a half ago or something like that. Or oh, that was before COVID. Oh, even before COVID, it, so it was more than two COVID. years ago. I think maybe two thousand eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, no, or... It must must have been, you know, maybe late nineteen or maybe yeah, maybe yeah. nineteen for sure. Time, before COVID. this last two and a half years for me, like the perception of time has been very fluid. So it just. Uh, yeah, and then you started to do some workshops and you did the mastermind. So um, what I can tell you is that the very first time I saw you in action, both as a coach or as an instructor, if you will, and as a speaker, I was so impressed uh, by your energy and by your preparation and, um, you know, I, how much you could engage the audience. So it's uh, been beautiful to, to watch you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I think in a way I'm learning to lean in to this role. You know, uh, I oftentimes think that um, I think it is true, not only for me, maybe other people can resonate as well. We do have some innate natural talents and strengths. And uh, at times we disregard them because if something comes easy for us to do, we think it's not worthwhile pursuing right because it has to be difficult we have to work hard to do something especially if we're talking about a job right so i think for me now <laughs> i am realizing that no 
job doesn't have to be necessarily difficult. It can be something that is so easy and natural to me. So yeah, I'm I'm learning to lean into my inner talents, which is working with people. What are the topics you like the most to kind of teach or facilitate on or have a conversation on? Hmm. I think one of the things that I am really, really passionate about is, again, going back to this idea of fulfilling one's potential, because I do believe in uh, living life that is full and meaningful. And I think it has to do with the fact that I really don't like regrets and having a thought that, oh, I could have done this, but I didn't, or, you know, playing small Uh, playing it safe, kind of. I wouldn't say I'm a big risk taker. At least with age, I became a risk averse. But this is something that really uh, interesting for me, like how to figure out what is our potential and how to tap into that and actually fulfill that. Because I think, you know, if on an individual level, we manage to fulfill our potential and lead fulfilling life, I think this can have ripple effects. We can be more loving, caring towards others, as well as toward environment. And one thing I really, really want to do is while I'm alive, in, in one shape or form, no matter how small it is, to benefit humanity and planet and, and contribute to this uh, loving symbiosis, if you will, right? So where we take care of each other because, yeah. That's what humans do. As I hear you say this, it reminds me of the ISAC mission statement. And yesterday I had Dorka here and she talked a lot extensively about ISAC. So it feels like the fulfillment of humankind's potential Mm -hmm. uh, sort of lines stuck with you because it's also their mission. And funny enough, you are a former ISACer. Exactly. And uh, this was actually something I was mentioning in my recent talk at ISEC conference, reflecting on my ISEC journey, me, myself as an individual, but also me as part of Inspiral. And for me, why I am so interested and committed in, you know, to Inspiral and why I was part of ISEC for two years when I was a student is alignment of values and mission, right? Because right. all three, me, Isaac, and Inspiral, we want fulfillment of humans' potential. Yeah. Great. Everything kind of seems to fit in the puzzle these days for me. Like, it's so beautiful that I had you and Dorkan, even when I asked you the first time to... Uh, help me work with Isaac on certain programs. I, I don't know if I already knew that you were Isaacers, but it just came up as a, a interesting uh, connection. And then you also resonated a lot with them and they really appreciated your workshop. So that's, uh, that's great. Yeah. I'm kind of convinced that, you know, once you uh, figure out for yourself what you want, what your values are, and, and basically kind of verbalize it also to yourself and to the universe. Some magic happens and, you know, like you meet the right people, right organizations, right platforms. And that's why I'm also forever grateful um, to my best friend who one day after work, she said, oh, there is this Inspiral event. Would you like to go? Shall we go? 
And I said, yeah, let's go. And I don't remember what was the topic, but it was focused on personal professional development. So I was interested. And at the time I started entertaining the idea of going into coaching. And that's, yeah, that's when I attended Inspiral event. And right after the end of that event, I approached you and I said, can I contribute? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Good memories. Yeah. And now here we are and you are a big boss of Inspiral. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be the big boss. Yeah. So Dursun, you took uh, a big chunk of the uh, activities as it relates to uh, organizing events and um, you know creating space for the for the various uh, workshops and and coordinating and there's a lot of work behind that you know because I've done it for all the, the large part of these seven years and uh, you are doing it fantastically so I'm really grateful for that thank you thank you I appreciate it coming from you it means a lot okay thank you <laughs> I was actually going to ask you know while we are on this topic of how we see ourselves like how do you see yourself and where do you see yourself in the next few years uh, or I'll put it this way how would you like to invest your life in the next few years well, that's a very good question. Look, I think I am at a stage in life where I have a pretty strong clarity on my purpose. And I I realize that the, the clearer my purpose is, the more I am able to attract in my life people like you mm. that resonate um, and that uh, help me in my journey. I guess my purpose is very much around creating uh, value for society. Um, I envision a world where there is uh, uh, a lot of freedom for people to achieve their goals and to be with what they want. And I also want to change some of the paradigms of education, like what uh, uh, it, good education looks like. Uh, because I find that uh, a big piece of education needs to be about unlearning or rethinking. I'm just now this reading this book by Adam Grant, which is called uh, uh, Think Again. And I found that so beautiful and profound. It's really all about the attitude that one has um, as it relates to questioning your own standpoints, your own beliefs. And uh, he also talks about how can you educate how can you teach people this attitude and mm -hmm. i'm i'm probably 60 percent of the book as of right now and translating that into my own sort of skill set as a coach as a leader as a teacher so that people can um, also learn these uh, abilities and skills of rethinking or thinking again or uh, and, and changing their point of view in a way that um, they grow as a result, mm -hmm. right? So I, I found that beautiful. So I don't know if I answered your question concisely. Maybe I took a tangent, but really maybe back to the question itself, I want to invest my time uh, continuing to uh, relearn, unlearn, relearn, mm -hmm. and learn uh, while at the same time delivering workshops, events, creating spaces for conversation, uh, for people to connect, uh, 
uh, this is something that I feel is really, you know, what I made for, what I love, and um, and the, some some of it applies to workplace as well, right? So creating a sense of community and belonging, and uh, the leaders of the future. This this uh, uh, is something I'm very passionate. Yeah, I don't know. That's the non-concise version, isn't it? Like the no, no it's, I not, it's not an it. elevator pitch, <laughs> but I and it it shouldn't be right. I mean, I think we we can afford ourselves to yeah have the space and time and take up space and time to yeah to discuss what we want. And one thing you know I need to say and you know kind of confess is that you know from the day one that I met you, actually you really make me rethink things that you know I maybe rethink my even my value systems at times you know like we while we have so much in common I think and this is what maybe attracts us to each other as friends and 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 colleagues but also we have a lot of differences yeah which I really appreciated you, you know looking at you I sometimes yeah like reevaluate rethink my belief system which is healthy yeah. and I guess I spent and I keep spending quite some time in educating myself about different subjects. You know, I like psychology and leadership, business, and a bunch of other things, but trying to look at different social challenges and issues we're, we're facing as a planet and really learn all the different perspectives on it, right? Mm -hmm. So say I read an article about something, well, I just want to read, and even if it resonates, I just want to, I just go through the comments to see what others think. And of course, I'm, I don't just, I don't bother for the trolls, but any other alternative, well-phrased um, view or perspective mm -hmm. intrigues me. So I just go research. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, there is a lot of, how to say, unfortunately, especially like in recent years. And I think this is also the reason why I decided not to go the route of becoming a politician is that, you know, sometimes I think we are not able to listen to other people open-mindedly, but then even at times when we try to do, then, you know, there is not a substantial kind of reasoning, right? Like to, to be able to, be understanding and supportive of the other person or other person's worldviews. Speaking of which, I mean, I, I really, I think one thing that I really like about uh, Inspiral is that this component of storytelling, giving people the platform, the chance to tell their stories and yeah, share with everyone else their journey and hopefully inform, educate, inspire others, which brings me to another question related yeah. to okay. uh, wow. Inspiral in the future. <laughs> we switched the roles now. <laughs> yeah, let me let me uh, try to, uh, not try to, I would like to a bit kind of pick on your brains as they say, right? Um, where do you see Inspiral going in the next few years? I have a dream um, and, and you know this, I want this to become a kind of a framework that that is repeatable. So I'd love to, um, I mean, this is a public appeal, right? If any of you listening is interested to start up an Inspiral community mm -hmm. uh, elsewhere, leveraging seven years of experience and yeah. a framework on how to run 
uh, events and get people around uh, I won't say around the table, but people in a place and just have a good time together and learn and and find inspiration from each other's stories and and really creating a group of friends, very diverse, at least from a, the standpoint of like where people are from, because we have events where you can really count 20, 25 different nationalities, yeah. four, five, if not five continents sometimes. Um I, I would really love to expand this abroad, like to create other mm. in spiral in, in other cities and then create a kind of a global community. Yeah. So that's my dream. And maybe we can start as early as next year to go to, I don't know, Vienna or Barcelona or uh, Amsterdam, Berlin, you name it. And yeah. just we go there, we do an event and whoever resonates, you know, you want to take it further. Uh, and I'll tell you, as a reflection of what you said about storytelling, it, that is very much related with the think again or rethinking or reevaluating is all of these stories I've heard in the last seven years have transformed me so much because it made me way more open-minded and compassionate person mm -hmm. as I realized that there is such a large degree of variation in people's experiences in terms of education, upbringing, belief system, and it made me less judgmental. Mm -hmm. uh, and I find beauty in all the stories. And I, even if some of the things I don't necessarily agree with or resonate, but I just learned to pause my judgment and mm -hmm. just uh, listen with my entire mind and heart to the, in the story and just resonate with, at least with the feelings, with the struggles, with the challenges. So yeah. I think this storytelling component uh, profoundly in a maybe in a more subtle way, mm -hmm. but changing me a lot in the last seven years. Yeah, I must agree with that. Uh, you know, for a long time, like growing up, going through my own difficulties, low points, up points, I thought, oh my God, I have to write a book about my life. Yeah. Share my story with the world. They need to see, to know. And when I started hearing the stories of other people, I realized, my story is only one story out of so many incredible, amazing stories out there. And just like you, I, I think by listening to the stories of different people from different backgrounds, I really exercise the muscle to be more open and uh, accepting. And thank you for that. And in fact, the most common feedback I hear about Inspiral and our events is that people feel safe being themselves, mm. feel safe telling their stories. And it's not uncommon that people come and say, I've said things in this group conversation that I've never said before. Mm -hmm. um, or even I, I just told a story in front of 30, 40 people because that's not uncommon to have this many, even 50 people in the room, yeah. which I even didn't tell to my parents. And and that's the the really the core of it, like feeling safe in, in being yourself and owning your story, but not that's that's the word that people usually I don't I didn't feel judged. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that people were looking at me with strange eyes and as if I was an alien or as if I was a failure yeah. or whatever, like that, that sense of being accepted and respected. Oh my God. That's when I hear these things, I just yeah. say, okay, you know, even if I, uh, die tomorrow, 
you know, if I manage to create, not me, my, myself, of course, all of us together, space for that to happen, you know, that's okay. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. I'm good. I mean, I guess it has to do with our kind of uh, innate long-time social need, right? Like the need to belong and yeah. to be part of something bigger. And I guess maybe then this, would you say this explains the reason why luckily enough i mean we have so much interest from people who want to tell their stories right yeah actually that's a good point you know we have been doing storytelling almost without interruption with the exception of last year for a few months where uh we didn't have an event i, I talked about this in our in the previous um solo episode of podcast but other than that we've had challenges and and when they were at really valleys and dark places in life yeah uh granted there is generally a positive outcome or some learning but uh that's that's incredible like how many people always come up i want to tell a story okay many times we drag them into telling a story but then when we even when we say to people and that's how actually the story whole storytelling started i was listening to friends or new people that that came to conversational type of event and i would say wow you have a very inspiring story mm -hmm no like it's a shameful story say no no no. you gotta tell that story i yeah. guarantee you i will help you prepare and you will tell me how you felt after right this was one of the first speakers guy that was here from france and he was telling a story to me first and i said like this is a story that needs to be told and he was so grateful because people came to him after he told the story and and oh my god this was so inspiring thank you so much and he never thought that it was going to be inspiring with that story mm. right interesting so sometimes you just we we seem to be insisting oh this story needs to be told and what happens is then we never pressure people into doing it or into doing it too early but when they finally do it yeah they always are thrilled and they just feel so happy and they get all this positive feedback it's, it's amazing well, you know, I mean, I want to say then there must be something that we're doing really well that people, especially those also, if they sit, you know, sitting in the audience that they can feel, they can sense, they can experience how open everyone else is and non-judgmental. Yeah. And no matter what is the, your story, people are, you know, accepting and yeah. yeah. I did not expect that we were going so deep into the storytelling piece, but it's beautiful conversation. I love the topic. So yeah. maybe we'll do another episode purely talking about uh, storytelling as a way to get people co to connect. And yeah, I mean, I think it's so it's so powerful for 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 me as an individual just to share my story out loud because I think there is a lot going on in our heads and we rarely actually verbalize and yeah. share them. And there's also power when other people hear our stories and the way they react and respond, which yeah. is, I think, is also very beautiful. It creates this, helps create the connection. Yeah, great. Hey, Durson, this was a massive pleasure for me to finally have you on the podcast and uh, looking forward to our continued cooperation. Why, this sounds so business, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love you as you are, and I want to you know, work with you for many, many years ahead. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was such a fun uh, evening together just to talk about uh, the topics that both of us are passionate about. And I love you back. And I am very grateful 
for the opportunity that I met you and we kind of clicked and yeah, getting to know you closer and yeah. as a friend, but also as a kind of a more on a professional level, there's a lot I can learn from you. I look up to you, you know that and and yeah. vice versa. And yeah, let's, uh, let's take a, uh, and spiral forward and yeah. share more stories. And funny enough, for our listeners, we are just waiting for our guests. We have an Inspiral community gathering tonight. So first two guests just arrived. Yeah. So we're going to, you know, get it going. So thank you, friends, uh, for listening to Take It or Lead It. We'll see you soon with another episode. Cheers. <laughs>